40. Um, I have good news for you. Uh, today I will be short. All right. So no one have any excuses of falling asleep. Okay. However, uh, when I do the second part of this sermon, uh, as you can see behind me, uh, the sermon title is The Boy, the Father, and Submission. This is part one. Uh, well, I see it in front of me. Okay, there we go. <laughs> I assume he was looking at it behind me. Thank you, Mark. Um, and we would do part two. I will just cover these two verses for this Sunday and for part two. I will cover verses 41 through 52, and that will lead us to Luke chapter 3. And I will be ecstatic that we're moving out of chapter 2 because it's been a while that we, since we've been in chapter 2, you know, it's time to move forward. Amen? Amen. Let me go ahead and read um, the sermon text, and you follow along. In your translation, it says, starting in verse 39, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was Upon him. The favor of God was upon him. As you can see, and you sure already noticed that Luke chapter 2, verses 39 through 40, is the only information that we have about Christ's childhood. In fact, I should have said Luke chapter 2, verses 39 through 52 is the only information we have about his childhood. Until we get to verse uh, 52. Verse 52 is when Jesus is a full, is, is an adult. So this is the setting that we have. Verse 39 and 40 gives us a glimpse of Jesus from the time of his infancy until he turned 11 years of age. Verse 41 through 52 is when Jesus turned 12 years of age. And verse 52 portrays Jesus as an adult. Uh, he was probably around the age of 25 until you get to uh, chapter 4. In chapter 4, that's when Jesus was probably around the age of 30 or 33, depending on the dating. And Luke is the only New Testament writer that tells us about Jesus' childhood and is the, the only information that we have. And as I said before, we would just cover these two verses. I don't know about you, but I've seen plenty of movies of Jesus being a child. Uh, Jesus, I have seen the uh, movie, The Young Messiah, that came out in 2015. It shows that Jesus was a young boy, 
Uh, movies, as you already know, movies producers, they use creative license, so they got to make the movie a little bit more interesting for today's uh, modern people. And the movie, they portray Jesus as a young boy who did miracles. For example, he performed uh, a miracle by healing a blind man. He performed a miracle by... Um, Resurrecting a dead bird. He performed a miracle by healing another young boy who bumped his head. And also in the movie, we see that uh, the Roman soldiers tried to assassinate Jesus as a young boy. One of the things that the movie did get right, because all the other stuff is only mythological in a sense, is only fairy tales because there's nothing that is written that Jesus doing any type of miracles as a young boy. But the only thing that they did get right is when Jesus was about to get assassinated. And why do I say that? Because Herod tried to assassinate Jesus. And this is what Luke falls for all purposes, he didn't record it because Matthew recorded those, that uh, story. Because in between verses 39, actually in between verses 38 through 40, this is when Herod massacred thousands and thousands of babies, all for the sake of trying to kill the new coming king, Jesus Christ. But we know that Luke didn't record that. He didn't need to. But what we have here is the same introductory story or where we left off with Anna and uh, Simeon. Uh, we have learned that about Anna and Simeon, that they were waiting for the coming Messiah. They were waiting for the Messiah to arrive. We know that Simeon gave a blessing to Excuse me. Uh, Simeon gave a blessing to Joseph and Mary. And Anna was in earshot of what that blessing was. This is the same scene in the temple. But verse 39 says, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. So, as we have said, and as I just said, the little white spaces between uh, the lines that we see is like a little time capsule. It, tells, it doesn't tell us all the information what happened, but we know that Jesus, Mary, and Joseph all went back home to Nazareth, and that is when Herod tried to kill them, or kill Jesus. And that is when the angel came to Joseph, and told Joseph what Herod was trying to do. And you can read that in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. But it says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, An angel appeared to Joseph and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. 
So what did they do? They returned home according to verse 39. And also, we have discussed, and I'm not going to get all in detail about it, we have discussed the doctrine of hypostatic union. Now, you might say, what is that? That is the idea of God becoming man, having two natures. That God, that God the Son dwell in human flesh. He is 100% man, he is 100% God. And this is and this statement in verse 40 demonstrates this truth that Jesus was and still is fully human. As the text says, the child grew and became strong. The child grew and became strong. Now, Jesus was like any ordinary child in human sense. He played like any other child. He grew up physically like any other child. I'm sure he had the ability to, uh, to learn new languages, had the ability to learn a skill like carpentry. He had any, those type of ability, but Jesus stands unique in terms of who he is. And his uniqueness is that here's a young boy who matured, and came fully aware of who he aware of who he was and still is that he is God. That is the ultimate difference, and this is what Luke wants us to be mindful of. Because, as you can see in verse forty-two, Luke identifies his age at age twelve. This is the crux of the remaining of the verses. This is when he identified and became aware of who he is. This is when the awareness became broad. Because Luke wants us to know, and this is why Jesus said what he said in verse 49 to his mother and uh, adopted and to his surrogate father. He said, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? The idea is that Jesus came fully aware of his own identity, his own self. So when we jump back up to verse 40, and Luke records that the child grew and became strong, is giving us a ideal that not only he became strong physically, but he became strong and matured spiritually. Amen? I'm not done, but amen. And this is the idea of the hypostatic union. Like I said, there's nothing really special about Jesus growing up as a young boy, except for the fact that he grew up being filled with wisdom. If you recall the birth of John the Baptist, Luke specifically said that John will be filled with the Holy Spirit, and similar to that, Jesus was filled with wisdom from birth. 
In fact, Jesus is the personification of wisdom. Turn to Psalm, uh, Proverbs chapter 8, and let's look at verse 22. Proverbs 8, verse 22. And we will read together. All right. It says... The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of all ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. Now, any ordinary person can read this and say, this is Lady Wisdom talking. This is Lady Wisdom telling us that the Lord used her to create everything that we know to be true. But here's the main point. When you jump back to um, when you jump back to uh, eight, Proverbs chapter 8, verse 1, when it says, does not understanding uh, raise her voice, the gender for her is neutral. There is no her. It is Christ that Proverbs 8 is talking about. That the Lord, Jesus Christ, has always been there from the beginning of the time. He has always been used in this manner. Jesus is the personification of wisdom. He is wisdom. So when the Luke says that he grew Strong and matured in wisdom, it has two points there. One is that his divine nature always possessed wisdom. Number two, that his human nature was becoming aware of his divine nature. Turn back to Luke, verse, uh, Luke 2, chapter, yeah, Luke 2, verse 939. And although Jesus was fully human and fully God and was also sinless, therefore he had a a unique ability to mature physically and spiritually without being affected by sin. Now, again, we need to be aware of this. I don't think that he was fully aware of his identity as a baby. I don't think he was fully aware of his identity as a toddler. But when he turned the age of 12, that's when he became fully aware that he was God. Now, what else does it mean that he matured, grew strong, and became filled with wisdom? It also means that he had to learn He had to 
not only just mature, but he had to learn to mature in wisdom. And this is what I want you to take away from this. Although this young boy was God, he still learned through obedience. And through obedience, he obtained wisdom. Amen? Turn to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. Hebrews 5, verse 8 says, in fact, let's read verse 7 and 8 together. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Verse 8 Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Isn't that interesting? Here is God who became man, but still learning obedience. This is why we believe in a hypostatic union, that God, that God the Son has two natures. He's 100% God and he's 100% man. And this also means that he suffered through temptation like any, any, um, any, everybody else. That's what happens when I talk too fast and my wife tells me and Travis just slow down. Because in Luke 4, you can turn back there uh, to Luke 4, you see that Satan tempted Jesus for 40 days and 40 nights. And the ideal, as as an aspiring theologian, I say to myself, how in the world that God can be tempted by Satan? It's impossible. One of my, my former pastors said, well, God is God. He can stack the deck how he chooses. And the idea in that is that, yes, he was tempted. Yes, the tempted, uh, temptations was valid. This is why he was able to be tempted, but yet without sin. He was tempted in every way, but yet the temptation didn't overcome who he is. Turn back to Luke 2, verse 40. So Jesus was the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. 
Yeah. This favor of God is not some type of spiritualized type of way. It doesn't talk about, it's not the same meaning of grace. This favor of God is connected in the same sentence, that he matured in wisdom. And how do you mature in wisdom again? By obedience. As a, as a child, I remember listening to these old Baptist preachers say, well, favor ain't fair. Yeah. Favor isn't fair. Because who God have favor for is his prerogative. He has chosen that individual. So how do we contextualize these two verses? How do we apply these two verses to our hearts? Separate asking is this. When we look at Jesus, we have no excuses whatsoever. We cannot say that Jesus was just was God and he couldn't uh, feel what I feel at any given moment. Can't say that. We know that's not biblical. We know that's not true. But what we can say, just like Jesus who matured and grew in the favor of God, it's the same way I can mature and grow in the favor of God too. By walking in obedience. We can apply this to any scenario in the Christian life. When you sin, you're chastised. For example, I, a Christian brother that is, who is well known, who was a preacher, no longer is because he was committing adultery, fell from grace, and that Moments, he no longer had the favor of God in the sense that God was favorable. God's love wasn't removed from him. So, my point is, if you ever feel, and I feel this all the time, and I'm, and that from a personal experience, I, I battle it all the time that I'm not walking in grace, it's because of my own sin. It's because of my own disobedience. It's nothing else. This is because I'm not maturing in wisdom. We all know this scripture text, right? You can even finish my sentence. The beginning of uh, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. No, I'm sorry. See, you should have corrected me. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. In fact, here's my small confession to the Pope here. So you identify who the Pope is. I'm just teasing. But anyway, here's my small confession. When I was looking at this little white board, uh, this white sheet here, I was asking myself, where do I stand? 
I don't know who created this, but kudos to you. A good example. Do Jesus Christ control all the areas of my life? The answer for me is no. Do I have a purpose for living? Yes. Is my life fruitful? Mostly maybe, maybe not. So I guess no. Do I really hate sin? Yes, I do, and sometimes I don't when it's pleasurable to me. Is God pleased with my thoughts life? I'm not even pleased with my thought life. I don't know God. Am I fun? Am I am I fun to live with? Oh, you gotta ask my wife. Am I teachable? Am I teachable? Yes. Am I available to God when I want to be available? Do I have a clear conscience? Mostly yes. Do I have an independent spirit? Yes. Do I have a personal and growing relationship with Jesus? That depends. So the answer is no. Is God pleased with my priorities? No. Am I touchy? No. Am I bitter about anything? Depends on who I'm talking to. Do I accept myself? Yes. Is God's word exciting? Yes and no, depending on when I want to read it. Do I have any habits or activities that I would change if Jesus were present? Yes. (laughs) It's so interesting that human nature always hides away from the light. Is, is the idea that God already knows what I'm going to do before I do it. He knows what I'm doing while I'm doing it. But yet, I still hide from other people of whatever I'm doing at that moment. It's, let's continue. Do I, have forgiving, do I have a forgiving heart? Yes. Do I treat, like to be treated as a servant? I like to put slave here uh, for biblical reasons. Um, No. Do I encourage my friends to reprove me? Yes. These are poignant questions that we should all ask ourselves. So back to our text, the ideal here in verse 40, the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom in favor of God is because not because he was just perfect. Not because his, his God, his divinity helped him out to, uh, to, to excuse him of imperfection. Well, let me slow down. <laughs> I don't want to trip myself over, over doctrinally speaking, but you get the point, all right? We have no excuses. Amen? Now I'm finished. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you. For your word, I do pray um, what, um, what I have said will be applied to me personally and to everyone else. Uh, we can look upon your son, Jesus Christ, who was at the age of 11 and 12, demonstrating to us that he grew in wisdom and in, in the favor of you because he was walking in obedience. 
He is the ultimate example of who we ought to be on a daily basis. And I pray when we don't want to be obedient that you will convict us of our sins. When we don't want to do the things you call us to do that you will shame us so we can be remorseful. And I thank you for your patience. I thank you for being patient, uh, patient with us on a daily basis because what we do often you are are shameful of it. Bring us closer to your son, Jesus Christ, on a daily basis in our Christian walk. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Amen.